Hey friends, this is Linda. Welcome back to another episode of Calling Water, the podcast where we examine a passage of scripture and think about both what it means and what it might call us to do. In today's episode, Enter the King's Service, we're looking at Daniel chapter 1 and how it relates to the trend of quiet quitting, especially when it comes to our faith. Let's get started. I know that quiet quitting has been all the rage recently, and like the rest of social media, I find it kind of funny and sad at the same time. I mean, quiet quitting basically means doing only what your job description requires of you, then clocking out when your workday is done. Now, most of us would call that a healthy work-life balance, but when you're part of a culture that puts value and pressure on high productivity, you're supposed to feel bad about yourself if you don't go above and beyond what's expected of you. I mean, I should know. I've been accused of being a workaholic once or twice a day, so I don't know how to dial it down. But, you know, I've come around to why this is trending. Quiet quitters are quiet quitting because they're not deriving any meaning or purpose from their work. They see their jobs as a means to, well, means, and don't see a need to contribute more than what they're told to do. And often it's because they're not being recognized or rewarded for the work that they are doing, and management is requiring more from them still. But this is something that's happening outside of the workplace too. I see it becoming a phenomenon in the faith community as well. Anytime I have a conversation with a church pastor, the concerns are always the same. Church attendance is down, offering amounts are dwindling, and it's never been so hard to recruit volunteers to serve in ministry. People seem to be quiet quitting the church. Now, I read an article that said that quiet quitting has more to do with bad managers than bad employees, and I'm inclined to agree. So when it comes to how it affects churches personally, I think now's a good time for the church to re-examine our practices and reacquaint ourselves with the God of the Bible and what that God expects of us instead of stubbornly holding on to our traditions just for tradition's sake. But that might be an entire manifesto for another time. For now, I just want to empathize with all of you out there who are experiencing this kind of burnout and disconnect with the church. To those of you who are just over it, I completely understand, and I'm so sorry. But I also want to gently remind you that maybe you're wanting to sever ties with the institutions that have let you down doesn't mean you need to do so with a God who very much loves you. No matter how bad things might be, God is with you. And to illustrate that, Let's begin by examining the meaning of Daniel chapter 1. Daniel is a fascinating book with a great mixture of narrative and mysterious dreams and prophecies. And we'll focus mainly on the life and influence of Daniel and his three friends this month and see what their stories may invite us to do in the present. So the book begins by briefly explaining how Daniel and the other Israelites ended up in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had conquered Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah falls into his hands. And as was customary with empires, they did more than just show physical dominion over other nations. Check out Daniel chapter 1 verses 3 to 5. 
Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, here's a little detail that's really easy to skip over. Nebuchadnezzar ordered that the Israelites who are to be brought into his service come from the royals and the nobility. So they didn't just pick any young men fit to serve. They handpicked the cream of the crop the ones who even among the Israelites were among the upper class. Now, they were about to be re-educated into a different system such that their influence and status could be reappropriated. If you ignore the cruelty of war and imperialism for only a second, Nebuchadnezzar is being quite resourceful here. Instead of decimating a population, he's acclimating them to the ways of Babylon and making them useful to him, not only because they'll be knowledgeable of Babylonian customs and laws, but because they can be his emissaries to the rest of the exiles because they're one of them. They're effectively taken from being in one king's service to another king's service. But what might be a shrewd maneuver on Babylon's part? It's devastating to these young Israelites who are brought over from their homeland. Among them are four men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who are each given new Babylonian names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, respectively. Essentially, Nebuchadnezzar wants to strip them of their former identity, traditions, language, religion, and every other affiliation to their Israelite roots. He's basically brainwashing them and telling them, you're not Israelites anymore, you're Babylonians. You will think, speak, act, and live as such. But Daniel and his friends were not so easily manipulated. They would not forget from whence they came and the God they worshipped. And this resolve started with their diet. The text says that all the trainees were given royal food and wine, which means they were given the very best Babylon had to offer. But that also meant that the food did not align with Israelite food laws and most likely had been sacrificed to idols. And this did not sit well with Daniel and the gang. So they boycotted. They refused to eat and demand vegetables and water instead. Now remember, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the only Israelites in this training situation. All the captives were from the same place. But none of the others join in on their food protest. And you know what? I have no judgment for any of them. I'd imagine by now they might have been thinking, what's the point? They took us from our home, changed our names, destroyed the temple of our God. Might as well eat what they tell us to and not cause any trouble. And if you are going to pick a fight with our captors, why make food your hill to die on, right? But for Daniel and friends, their faith and devotion to God were rooted in their disciplines. And this inevitably led them to more trouble down the line, which we'll talk about in future episodes. 
but they felt in their heart that if they gave up this seemingly small way that they had honored God in the past, not only would this displease God, but it would be the slippery slope to them losing their faith altogether. So they don't budge on this. They tell the guard to give them only vegetables and water for 10 days. And after these 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the others. So now everyone was put on the same vegetable and water regimen. Now, I used to think that the other men might have grumbled about this change, but I now realize that they were probably extremely thankful that da Daniel and his friends spoke up on their behalf because now all of them could obey the laws that had been preserved in their lineage for generations. And the text tells us that God allowed these four friends to excel in their training and to acquire all the learning required of them. And Daniel in particular was given the gift of interpreting visions and dreams. And the outcome was this, as told in verses 18 through 20 of our text. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So what does this first chapter of Daniel call us to do? Mainly, I feel it calls us to think about the way we're used to serving God and how we can adjust that way of thinking into a healthier one. For the most part, we could never hope to fully empathize with what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the rest of the exiles experienced. But I do think there's something to be said about the quiet quitting that was happening among the other Israelite captives and how it's happening in the church today. I feel like ever since COVID first shut down in-person worship in 2020, people began to reassess their relationship with the church and with God. For some of us, it made us realize that we didn't know how to maintain our spirituality without somebody to tell us how. For others, it made us realize how much of our time was consumed by serving the church. So getting back to it has been like a gigantic chore. But for all of us, COVID shone a light on what it truly means to be a follower of God when our places of worship aren't there when no one is looking and silently judging you from an adjacent pew, when it's just you and God. Daniel and the three had every reason to give up their devotion to God when they were removed from their home. They could have even resented God for allowing this tragedy to come upon them in the first place. Why should they stay faithful when God seems to have abandoned them? But the text tells us God God didn't do this, just like how God didn't send us coronavirus. Now, I know there are various prophets like Jeremiah, for example, who have prophesied Israel's ultimate demise as a result of their unfaithfulness. But it's not as though God was just sitting around waiting to flip a switch and bring disaster upon the people. 
If anything, the prophets were issuing warnings that are pretty common sense. As humans continue to be proud, arrogant, and wicked, bad things will continue to happen. But even in the midst of this chaos that humanity brings upon itself, God remains true. God was with Daniel and his friends in the exile, much like God was and is with us in this persisting time of COVID, monkeypox, hurricanes, and other calamities. Circumstances change, sometimes for the worse, but God does not. So take a moment right now to take stock of your relationship with God. Maybe you've walked away from the church. And you know what? I get it. I know firsthand what it's like to be hurt and disillusioned by the church, to be gaslighted, criticized, and ostracized by the very same people who claim to love Jesus and love you. But if you could look beyond the oppressive behavior of misguided people, you'll find that God is not with them. God is with you. And maybe you're in the quiet quitting movement when it comes to your faith. And you know what? I get that too. There are days I just want to do the bare minimum myself. But know that your relationship with God is not about your church attendance, your tithing amount, the amount of scripture you read or memorize. It's about the life you live in service to God and others. So if you need to take a break from the more ritualistic aspects of worship, that's okay. But don't break off that connection with God because God is always with you. Create your own spiritual discipline so that your love for God isn't muddied by God's misrepresentations. And maybe you're among the overzealous who are working tirelessly for God well past quitting time. I get that also. But don't forget to pause and evaluate why you do what you do. Is it for recognition? Is it for money? Or is it because you're scared of what will happen if you don't do these things? Let your commitment to serving God stem only from your love for God. Otherwise, you will for sure crash when people fail you, which sadly they usually do. You see, Daniel, while he was being trained the entire time to enter into the king's service, never stopped being in God's service. He made it known from then on until for the remainder of his life that he served God, and then he backed that up with his life, as did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But more importantly, God never stopped being with all of them. Their faithfulness to God was merely a reflection of God's unchanging faithfulness to them. And we can also cast that same reflection. Let's pray. God, please have mercy on your church. You told us to draw near to you because your yoke was easy and your burden was light, but oh, how we've pushed people away by making it complicated and burdensome to be in the King's service. For those of us feeling jaded and disappointed, comfort us and show us in visceral and real ways that you are near and that your love for us 
is unchanging and true. Help us remember that to be in your service means simply to be in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen.